Deep pattern. Downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and ahead of week two, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is a preview Thursday. We're going to go position by position and break down this matchup, Dolphins versus the Bills at Hard Rock Stadium, give you the keys to the game, and tell you what the Dolphins and Bills must do to claim victory. Plus, we'll hear sound from quarterback Tua Tungavailoa and receiver Will Fuller, who makes his return to the lineup this week. And we'll break down Coach's Wednesday press conference, and we'll also pick the Thursday night game. A busy, busy show from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Before we get into this lengthy preview we have planned on the podcast, let's go ahead and start here with Coach Flores' Wednesday morning press conference. At first, he was asked about Raekwon Davis, and he just detailed that he's not going to really go into detail on a player's medical situation, so we're taking it day by day. And then Coach kind of elaborated on why he feels that way, and he just said, back when I played, I had injuries, and we'd say, hey, it's a three-week timeline, we'd have setbacks, and then you just kind of wind up not delivering on that particular expectation or timeline. So some insight there as to why Coach believes that's the best method to take. He also talked about Josh Allen and this Buffalo Bills team, saying you have to give Josh Allen different looks, but you also want to do what you do well and stick with that as well. So I thought that was a very interesting comment from Coach, because we know about variety in this defense, but also they have certain things they do better than other things like any other team any other defense across the league he also was asked are corrections easier to make after wins and he just said corrections are corrections and the best thing about it here is that guys in this room in this building are open to the corrections they are open to the the critiques to get better and improve and they want to improve Coach also said we'll know what to expect from Will Fuller this week after a full week of practice. He, of course, returned to the practice field after he was not here at practice last week as part of his suspension for one week from last season's PED popping. And we also, Coach said, want to be aggressive. They talked about the first and 14 pass play from Tua to Devontae Parker, which actually we learned later on in the day that Tua checked that on his own accord, and we'll come back to that here on the podcast later on. But Coach said we always want to be aggressive, especially in that situation. Didn't want them to have the football back, and he also said we'll have to be aggressive against Buffalo as well. Finally, Adam Shaheen was back on the practice field on Wednesday after missing week one on the COVID IR list. The entire injury report is actually out, and the Dolphins had three players limited at Wednesday's practice, Adam Shaheen, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Preston Williams, with four players as full participants in practice, Clayton Fedulum, John Jenkins, Devontae Parker, and Elandon Roberts. For Buffalo, three players did not practice, two of them veteran rest days for Mario Addison and Cole Beasley. Gabe Davis has an ankle and did not participate in practice on Wednesday. Buffalo had three players limited at Wednesday's practice, Starla Tulele, Isaiah McKenzie, and Matt Milano, and Emmanuel Sanders was listed on the injury report as a full participant in Buffalo's Wednesday practice. Speaking of the Buffalo Bills, they say nobody circles the wagons, but we'll see about that come Sunday. Hopefully they do have no wagons to circle. What the hell am I talking about? But this week was different prep for me 
this week having an actual tape on the team made it different. But one game is obviously never enough. So we go back and look at last season as well, specifically the second most recent game this Miami Dolphins team played against this same Buffalo Bills team in the finale of Week 17. And defensive coordinator Josh Boyer talked about having seen that tape several times, bless his heart, what a tough task that is, that there's a takeaway every time you watch film, every session you want to maximize what you can take away from each tape. And I'm definitely with Coach on that thought because you know we do the Tuesday Omissions podcast because you just cannot possibly gather a full 53-man roster evaluation in addition to what schematically teams were trying to accomplish. There is so much that goes into one single football game. To think you can come away from one broadcast copy watch, maybe you're having a couple beers and some wings and you're going to the bathroom in between certain plays, to think you can come out of that game with a full evaluation and not have like several, several questions to me is crazy. So I thought it was cool to hear from Coach there about how you want to watch the same tape a couple times, try to maximize your ability to get information from that tape. But it just made me think about you can't really have a nuanced opinion or a really informed opinion on the game until you at least know what you're watching, but also watch that tape several times. So that's kind of what I did here this week with both the Buffalo Bills versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, as well as the Miami Dolphins at the New England Patriots. And before we get into the matchups, I want to just go ahead and talk a little bit about the Bills and their current position or status, status or standing in the NFL hierarchy. This is something I want to do a little bit more of this year compared to last season with regards to these season previews, because I think on top of the matchups and the actual X's and O's, which is, you know, my favorite part of the sport we all love, if you can't tell from the podcast already, but a very close second is the drama and the storylines that go into each game. Like there's no better drama than the National Football League. And I'm not talking about made up narratives or the types of things that can be really overplayed or drawn out, maybe just played up is the word I'm looking for here, the phrase I'm looking for. But what I mean by this, I like to look at the arc of the team. And despite the fact that they're a divisional foe and a real thorn in our side the last couple of years, man, I respect the hell out of Sean McDermott and what he's done up in Buffalo. He came in back in 2017 and quickly started to make the roster to his vision. And it's not all that different from the types of characters that are Brian Flores and Chris Greer looking for down here in Miami. Tough, team-first guys who love and prioritize football. McDermott and Brandon Bean worked to get assets back for the talent they had on the roster with guys like Sammy Watkins and Marcel Darius and Ronald Darby trading all those guys away ahead of that 2017 season, which was greeted with backlash at the time. But you look at it now, I mean, shoot, even in that 2017 season, they went to the playoffs that year with Tyrod Taylor, and they struggled in that game, a 10-3 loss in Jacksonville in that playoff run. But then they made their play for the quarterback next season with Josh Allen, and they went up the draft board to get this uber-talented quarterback out of Wyoming. A much, you know, not much maligned, but there was a lot of critics of Josh Allen's game. And for those of you that were with me back with the Locked On Dolphins days, remember that I was a big, big Josh Allen fan. I even wrote a story on LOD.com that he was the only quarterback in that class that made sense for Miami to draft because he could develop behind Ryan Tannehill while you gave Tannehill the 2018 season to see if he could recapture the 2016 form that he had before that knee injury. But the Bills make the play for Allen and he continues this path to unique path, I should say, to superstardom. He showed you the flashes of the physical brilliance, but ultimately struggled with accuracy and just showing a little bit of 
chaotic nature in the pocket to his game or at the top of the drop to not really have a plan when he saw pressure and when he had to get off that spot. But I still thought you could see that in 2019, his first playoff year, that he was working with something that could eventually become great, which we saw last year, and it, it did. But before 2020, they had built a damn good defense at all three levels, especially that secondary, which was essentially remade in one offseason with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and Trey White, who are all still there. And last year was a bit of a step back from a production standpoint, and they had issues keeping some guys healthy that contributed to that. But I think their improvement could make this truly one of the contenders to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl this season. Let's go ahead and dive into this crucial matchup on Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. 1-0 Dolphins, 0-1 Buffalo Bills, a 1 o'clock kick under 88-degree temperatures, partly cloudy skies, and about 65% humidity, and there is some possible moisture in the forecast, as there always is this time of year in South Florida. But we take a look at the Pittsburgh game last week to help us inform ourselves of the Buffalo Bills, and we start here with the Bills quarterbacks versus the Dolphins safeties. And I alluded to... Josh Allen's early career scouting and his ability to break this habit in year three. And what it was, was at the top of the drop, when pressure arrived, the hands would separate from the football. So the football's in one hand all of a sudden, and he would get off the spot seemingly without a plan for where he was going to go or where the next read or decision came from. And what I mean by this is that he would get himself into a position where he's not in a threat to throw the football, which is ironic because this is a guy that can drive the ball from quite literally every single arm angle and every single platform known to man on a football field. But you kind of saw it again against the Steelers, and that's where they did a good job, I thought, of having sound gap integrity on their rushes and getting in Josh Allen's face. And here's the key. Without letting him escape that initial wave. Once that happens, you're so toast. You are so, so toast. So it's an interesting dynamic. Do you try to heat him up with the blitz? Or do you play coverage and force him to scan and make plays? Either way, you probably have to spy or have some type of plan for him when he tries to get loose with the legs. And just looking back at his rushing numbers against Miami over the course of his career in six games, 340 yards in the ground, three touchdowns. Now, to be fair, 230 of those yards and two of those touchdowns as well were before the current regime arrived here back in 2018, before the current structure or defensive philosophy we have now was originally in place. So it's really more like 110 yards in four games, which is a way better production against a running quarterback like himself. And it's far more sustainable if you want to beat this Buffalo offense. But he has gotten us through the air. So how do we stop that? Well, the way Pittsburgh did it was this. They blitzed him seven times on 56 dropbacks. Basically not at all. They pressured with four, and we saw TJ Watt and Melvin Ingram have success doing that. And we'll save that for the offensive line versus defensive line portion. But when they did blitz... Allen was two for six with nine yards, also took a sack. So maybe there's something to that, especially with regards to mixing up how you do it. I remember the first game against us back in 2018 with the Buffalo Bills. Bobby McCain got him on a cat blitz. Remember, he was a corner before a safety. And we saw some really clever blitzes like that against New England. Byron Jones got home on a uh, kind of a sort of a sack and uh, eventually a fumble from Mac Jones. So it's in the bag of tricks. But you always wonder exactly what Flo and Boyer and the staff wants to do. We heard Brian Baldinger does great video work breaking down the game every single Monday, Tuesday, really really every day. But he had a comment in his post-week one breakdown saying the Dolphins' defense is tough to get ready for. They're tough, they're multiple, they're talented, they scheme it up well, they have talented players, and they do as much as any defense in the National Football League with all the variety they have. So giving Allen different blitzes or rushers that can 
crossed the wires with his pre-snap ID compared to his post-snap, that's going to be crucial. And on the topic of, you know, Dolphin safeties, is this kind of the position group we look at with the quarterbacks, interesting usage with those guys in week one, and we'll see how that changes this week. I talked about the dichotomy of the Bills and Patriots offense, so you could always see something completely different, but McCourty, 74 snaps. Eric Rowe, 65 snaps. Javon Holland, 24 snaps. And we saw some Holland in the deep post. And on some of those reps, you'd see both McCourty and Rowe down in the hole, down close to the box, down by the line of scrimmage. And I mean, I knew what we also saw with Holland's versatility and some work down in the muck. But with regards to the safety deployment, Brandon Jones played 11 snaps that were mostly in place of the injured Eric Rowe, who came off but went back in. But yeah, Man, McCourty's versatility makes this defense even tougher than I thought. I love it. His range, the instincts, the cover skills. He creates a whole other level of versatility because he can really play every single position in your defensive secondary. And speaking of blitzing defensive backs and getting Josh Allen to the ground, man, Javon Holland can hit you. And he does it in a controlled nature where you just haven't really seen those big whiffs from him. He can come in under control and get the big dudes down to the ground. Just go back and look at the John O. Smith topple and force fumble in the second quarter of that Patriots game. Now, last note here, and this involves our corners too, so we'll go ahead and pivot to that breakdown next, our cornerbacks versus their skill players. But Miami still had six defensive backs eclipse at least 24 snaps in the game against a Patriots team who hardly ran any three wide sets in that game. And with the Bills and all the 10 personnel they can run and how much they can challenge your defensive back depth, we could see a bit more of Brandon Jones or Justin Coleman and guys that were up and active but only played sparingly in that game on Sunday. So some more blitz numbers here for you. The Dolphins last year in the Week 2 game on 37 Josh Allen dropbacks blitzed him 16 times. He was 9 for 16 with 167 yards and two touchdowns, and all four of his touchdown passes in that game came when he was under pressure. Just a great game for him, despite the fact that he had two possible INTs not go the Dolphins' way. Then in Week 17, kind of a similar script. Only 27 dropbacks this time, but 12 blitzes, and once again, 10 for 11, 135 yards, and two touchdowns with no pick. So basically over 10 yards per attempt and a couple of TD tosses against the blitz and really a a small amount of incompletion. So what does this tell you? Well, I think you have to try to find a way to generate pressure with him, with four guys, and then be selective with the blitzes. Not dialing up the blitz would be negligent because, like Coach Flores said, it's something you're good at, so you do it. But I think you pick your spots because we mentioned the blitz numbers against the Steelers and his throwing against pressure numbers. He was 8 for 19 with 109 yards and a touchdown and no picks. That's 5.7 yards per attempt and less than 50% complete. You do that, you're going to have a great chance to beat Buffalo and get out to that 2-0 start here in the AFC East. On the day, Allen was 30 for 51, 270 yards and a touchdown pass, just 5.3 yards per attempt. But watching the game in general, you know, they were playing coverage. They were flooding to the second level, getting bodies in that hook zone, the hook zone, the curl zone, make life difficult on Allen in that area of the field, make him be really proficient going down the football field. And they were moving Allen with power rushes and bull rushes. And they were willing to let Devin Singletary have some space. He had 11 carries for 72 yards in the game. And Emmanuel Sanders was the guy they seemed to say, let's let him beat us because he got vertical a couple times. And also Cole Beasley, uh, you know, Beasley's a guy that he's just not going to get vertical very often. He had one of the lowest A dots in the league year after year, but Emmanuel Sanders had his chances and they just couldn't quite connect. I'm sure they'll get better as the year goes along in his first game with Josh Allen. But up front on that Bills offensive line versus the Dolphins defensive line, as we pivot now in our preview here, Pressure numbers allowed in week one for Buffalo. Deion Dawkins had five. John Feliciano had eight. Mitch Morse had three. 
Cody Ford, almost said Kobe, Cody Ford had two and Daryl Williams had five. So a total of 10, 23 pressures from the offensive line. And Ike Bodiger came in and allowed the pressure as well. But power rush moves, bull rushing guys. Uh, Melvin Ingram really gave some challenges to Deion Dawkins. I also saw Cam, Hay- saw Cam Hayward do the exact same thing to both Mitch Morse and John Feliciano up in the interior. So guys that get a lot of push with length and power on the inside, Sure sucks that Raekwon's down. That was his game. But this is why you build out the depth and why you get a John Jenkins into your building. I'm not saying he plugs and plays for Raekwon Davis, but he still gives you the opportunity to keep Christian, Zach, and, and Adam Butler all fresh. So with that in mind, I really think that this is Zach Sealer's chance to make a big impact. You know, in the Week 2 game last year, he only played 16 snaps. Then he had 22 snaps in the Week 17 game. And nine of those were in run defense and 13 is a pass rusher. And he had two pressures, including a quarterback hit and a pair of run stops. So effective in that week 17 game. I think his length can give those guys all they can handle at the other interior spot. I like Wilkins and Butler's matchup with Cody Ford for their quickness and ability to keep their frames clean, change direction, and really put the impetus on Ford to make his decisions and be stout with his technique and, and, and his urgency to get to those pass sets. Now, off the edge, Emmanuel Ogba had seven pressures in the two games last year, but only two of those came against Daryl Williams. Now, Williams had his handful on Sunday against Watt with five pressures allowed in that week one game, but Ogba worked inside too, and that kind of goes back to our point about the interior. I think that's where you can attack. Plus, you want Allen going side to side. Once he steps up in the middle and escapes through the middle of the pocket, that's tough to defend. Also on the edge, Andrew Van Ginkle had a nice game last year in the week 17 finale, including a sack. They got the Bills off the field in one of those drives. Also had two total pressures and four run stops. And that was working against Deion Dawkins. So he has some success against the Bills left tackle. Dawkins goes six foot five, 320. And Gink has shown the propensity to get under the blockers with his si- with, that have that size and length and dip under those guys and corner and flatten to the quarterback. Hopefully he can do that again. Last point here, and this is purely my opinion, and we'll see how it plays out. I think <clears throat> this is the opponent for why you draft a Jalen Phillips. His ability to win as a one-on-one pass rusher, at least in college and as a prospect. Some of the things that TJ Watt did with the swipes, the flash move to throw the hands, to draw out the hands of the tackle. That's some of, I think, Phillips's best traits and something he can have success with. He puts it together in this game. We kind of saw Waddle and Holland have their arrival moments last week with the big catches and the big force fumble. I think we could see the same this week from Jalen Phillips. On to our next group, and this is a star power on star power group here, man. Buffalo receivers and tight ends versus the Miami DBs. And going back to the Brian Baldinger video, you guys all saw that, right? He said you couldn't even fit an American Express car between these guys, talking about how good Byron Jones and Xavier Howard are in coverage. He said they're as good as anybody, those two guys. Now, we didn't have Jones after the third snap of the Week 2 game last year, but we did have him in Week 17, and he got that big pick on the first drive. But the rest of the game obviously didn't work out that way. Now, we've covered this at length, but the Bills are going to operate almost exclusively in 11 personnel and 10 personnel. Sunday versus the Steelers, they gained only five yards on packages other than those two packages. 10 personnel provided 114 yards, and 11 personnel provided 252 yards. And actually, they do go five wide more than most, but they actually lost yardage out of that package on Sunday, negative nine yards, because two of the three sacks came when the Bills were in empty packages. So something to think about there as well. But from 10 personnel, 24 plays, 11 personnel, 41 plays, and then OO personnel where you have five receivers, that's nine plays. And the rest was just 11 plays. So they basically go 
three wide every play, if not four wide or five wide. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. <clears throat> Stephon Diggs, 79 snaps in the game. Emmanuel Sanders, 79 snaps in the game. Cole Beasley, 77 snaps in the game. Gabe Davis had 43, and Isaiah McKenzie had 15. He left with a shoulder injury and came back all within that game. Dawson Knox also played 48 snaps, the Buffalo tight end. And let's get to Eric Rowe here because Knox had zero catches on Eric Rowe last year in the first game. They went elsewhere. Just one target, no catches. Week 17, well, they try him this time. Seven targets against Eric Rowe, one catch. But you know they obviously had offensive success elsewhere. So we go to the other matchups. They moved their receivers around to alter the matchups. So X and Byron both had five targets in that Week 17 game against Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. Now they add Emmanuel Sanders basically in place of John Smoke Brown. But you look at the styles of these players going up against each other. Byron Jones matches Stephon Diggs' profile more than anybody else. And I think Xavier Howard matches up well with a Gabe Davis. And of course, you're going to have your doubles, your brackets, your different plans. But again, those guys don't really travel. They stay on one side of the field, as Byron Jones told us earlier. So the Buffalo Bills can then kind of create their matchups as they did last year in both those games, moving both those guys, or, or all those guys, I should say, all across the formation. But this is the, the real premier matchup of the game. Can Miami prevent those big crossing routes last year that killed them? Can they stay in man coverage and prevent the rub routes and the pick routes and Josh Allen's ability to buy time to create more time for those man cover routes to uncover? That's going to be the key. Mixing up some zone here and there as well to get Josh Allen uncomfortable off his spot. Man, I can't wait to watch that matchup. Moving to the beef of the field, the middle of the field, the Bills running backs versus Dolphins linebackers. Now, running the football just really isn't their preference. I mean, at least it wasn't in the week one game. Devin Singletary had 11 rushes, but did go for 72 yards, did have two fumbles too. And the Steelers very rarely crowded the line of scrimmage. We mentioned the blitz numbers, but there really wasn't even simulated pressure where they would show guys in the gaps or or in the A gaps rather, or coming off the edge or safeties down in the box that back out. They put bodies in the hook zone, and they kept them there in that second level to help protect against the Bills' spread and quick game. Put more pieces in that line of sight of the quarterback and get yourself between the man and the, and the football. And then also, they were hanging out largely in split safety looks throughout the course of the game, which I thought really helped them keep the football in front of them and not let Buffalo get those big explosive plays that they have just really torn teams apart with the last year or so. Now, a split safety look will often call for the run game, but even in a game where they were leading through three quarters and within one score all the way to late in the fourth, they went to or with a 50 to 16 pass to run ratio. And Allen did have nine runs in there as well, but only a few of those were designed largely scrambles with his runs. As for the personnel, Zach Moss was a healthy scratch and all of Singletary's runs came from the shotgun. And he likes to press the line and change direction quickly at the line when he finds his gap. So being gap sound, not just in your pass rush, but in the running game is going to be so critical in this game because if you can get him to bubble or change directions before he hits the line, then you can really limit that run game, get into those third down and longs. And that's when you hope you can get Josh Allen to press and make some mistakes. Now in this way, I like Jerome Baker in this game a lot because he's built to play a game plan that can rely on speed and spacing and do some blitzing and covering the backs and some tight ends, dissecting the run game that's more about box count than just straight up winning hat on a hat and getting physical and climbing your guard to that second level. I think Bakes do for a big game in this one. And I'll be curious to see how Landon Roberts is used because this offense typically requires a lot of sub packages and plenty of nickel and dime and even quarter defenses. And when you add defensive backs, 
Somebody has to come off from the front seven. I'll be curious to see how much we see from Elandon Roberts and Brennan Scarlett in this game, who had serious, uh, serious roles and snap counts last week in New England. Overall offensive thoughts here, they can go tempo, they can go quick counts on uh, on second down and short. If they, if they get a second and two, they'll come to the line and snap that thing, run it, and get a first down, and start all over. So you have to get lined up and get ready. They're a quick passing game when behind the chains. They like to go, if it's like a first and 20, get a quick hitter for six or seven yards and get themselves back you know, in a manageable down distance. And then also one of the plays of the game, I thought Allen had Sanders deep down the field and overshot him. If he hits those, they're going to be tough to beat. But if he misses those and you can maybe hope to take your gamble that he does and miss a couple of those, that's when you have a real chance to beat this Bills offense. Uh, There was a 52.3% blitz rate week one for Miami. That was number two behind just Tampa Bay. And interestingly enough, Pittsburgh's was 1.8% dead last in the NFL on blitz rate, but they also got plenty of pressure on Allen. So Different opposing attacks there with the Steelers and Dolphins. We'll see how Miami wants to attack them on Sunday. On the other side of the football, how about this Dolphins offense? You know, rewatching the, we're going with the quarterbacks versus safeties here Tua Tunga Vailoa, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. Rewatching the tape a couple times, I really only saw three or four plays that I think Tua would like to have back. But I thought he really changed a lot of the misnomers out there, like his A dot over 10 yards. He threw the ball to the perimeter a lot and effectively. He threw the ball deep and effectively. Now, the Steelers got the ball out quickly against Buffalo. 2.3 seconds on average was actually the fastest in the NFL this week for Big Ben. Tua was at 2.59 seconds, which was ninth most or ninth quickest per next gen stats. And Ben had a similar aggressive rating. In fact, this combo both of those guys put together is what you want a quick ball out time and a good aggressiveness percentage without sacrificing the aggressiveness. Ben's was 31.3% and Tua's was 25.9%. Ben had the second highest aggressive rate and Tua the fourth this week in the National Football League. But Tua's eyes are going to be critical this week. And the thing about this defense with Hyde and Poyer is that they are interchangeable in terms of what they can do. And Tua talked about this. We'll get to the sound here in just a little bit. They can both kill you with showing up in places you will not expect, like the robber role, for instance. So Tua needs to be able to move those two guys and account for them at all times. And, you know, I wrote this part of the script before I talked to Tua today. Say that five times fast. And then Tua gave me a great quote, kind of confirming what I had put here on tape and on my my notes. Let's go ahead and go to Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungabailoa on the Bills' safeties and defense in general. The Bills have a couple of safeties that have been together for a long time. They're with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. <laughs> Just wondering what kind of challenges they present for you in your, your pre-snap reads and your post-snap kind of going through your checks. Like what, what kind of challenge do they provide to your, uh, your, your game? Yeah, they, they provide uh, a good amount of uh, problems uh, for us. Um, it's a veteran defense, you know, so with Jordan on one side and Johnson on the other side, Milano in, inside, Edwards on the other side. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. They could spin the coverage. They could... They could bring, you know, 40 or 58 or 49. I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen. But, um, you know, for us offensively, you know, if you don't know, you just got to stick to your rules. Just always revert back to your rules and uh, you'll be fine. Loved hearing him talk about how they can spin into different coverages because that was my takeaway too. These guys are interchangeable in the skill sets they have. Now against Pittsburgh, here was their high safety look counts. Zero safeties, which we all know cover zero, five of those reps. With one safety, single high in the post, 36 of those reps. Split safeties, two up high. They had 14 of those reps. And then three safeties, which is typically sub, sometimes big nickel, but usually means off. 
zero of those reps. So primarily single high, a lot of two high safeties as well, and then five snaps in cover zero. And Hyde is usually the one camping down around the line of scrimmage. So I'll be curious to see how you might want to try to influence his role in this game. When the Steelers would go nasty splits, and that just means you're going to be tight and bunched in close to the offensive line with your receivers and tight ends, he'd come, he'd come down right there and match up whether it was Juju or Fryermuth or even Najee Harris. He's kind of the chess piece of that defense. So keeping an eye on him is going to be key. And I actually thought Tua did a good job with this in the game later on and again in week one finding ways to discount the safeties from the equation and attacking the open space by moving them off with your eyes and hitting a couple of long balls like he did against the Patriots will go a long way towards this defense kind of, you know, keeping Micah Hyde away from what he loves to do and to create more opportunities for this passing offense to find space in the middle of that defense. But I also think using Mike Gesicki to kind of bust that seam and then also utilizing a second tight end, whether it's Shaheen or Long or Smythe, just to simply get him to come down off of that two-safety look or the robber position, I think that could have some value as well. Now, however, our next position group matchup, Dolphins receivers and tight ends versus the Bills DBs, this is maybe why you don't call on two tight end sets. It'll be interesting to see which direction they go with. Levi Wallace was targeted 10 times, and that was by far the most for the Buffalo defense on Sunday. Allowed just six catches for 35 yards, so a great day for Wallace. But that's kind of been how teams have attacked this Buffalo defense over the last couple of years. You know, it's not a knock on Levi Wallace at all. He's had a very nice career to this point and done it as an undrafted free agent, no less. But it's kind of like my man Channing used to always say, when you're on a defense with Zach Thomas, Junior Seau, Sam Madison, Pat Sertan, Brock Marion, and Jason Taylor up front, they're going to go after Channing Crowder. So both Teron Johnson, as you heard uh, Tua mentioned there, and Trey White, both those guys were targeted six times. So the Steelers went to work on those guys with a receiving core that is just damn good. Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster. Can Miami do the exact same with their depth? Because I think Miami is, is equipped to do the exact same thing. And you look at the comparisons, or I guess call them analogs to those guys. You know, Parker can be your Claypool. Claypool had an absolute mossing of Trey White in that game. Juju, maybe some Will Fuller there. I don't know. It's tough to say because both Will and Jalen are faster, but he's very versatile in what he can do in vertical and short game. But that's kind of a good comparison. Deontay Johnson has great speed as well, so maybe he's your Jalen Waddle analog. It's not tit for tat, but it's close. But now if they play that split safety look, I think you look to attack with tight ends or maybe some more of those inside fades or slot fades that Godsey was talking about. Now, Trey White, he's as good as there is out of his backpedal and in transitions. You know, if you make a mistake on Trey White or you let him bait you, he can get picks. He's very good at that, so you have to be careful throwing his direction. But Devontae Parker on in-breaking routes, make him physical up. Make him challenge Devontae on those physical stuff when he gets that matchup. Now, trying Levi Wallace vertically, I think that's the move. Anytime you can get one of your speedsters on him, his length and aggressiveness are his calling card. So when you see him follow 17 or 3 or 2 or 19, think about a deep shot there. Teron Johnson, slot receiver, he's really good in the slot. And his testing numbers, though, three cone, 703, 46 percentile. Shuttle time, 428, that's 42nd percentile. Nine foot 10 on the broad jump, that's 39th percentile. And the film kind of backs up the thing we talked about, Wallace. He's not going to show you the twitchiness in a phone booth. He wants to get hands on you and be aggressive. So again, slot fade or jerk, whip, pivot routes, challenge that athletic profile. And maybe you don't Maybe you don't get some of your four wide sets to test that depth. Maybe you do. I don't know. Do they have the fourth corner who can cover him? Because it's to me, it's worth finding out. Stats say, well, there's not much stats to go on because the Steelers only targeted five defensive backs in this game. And Buffalo's defense played pretty much all the same guys. Like, there was not a lot of disparity except for a few guys up front. 
but the linebackers and defensive backs pretty much all play the entire game, all game. And, you know, Dane Jackson is the other cornerback on the roster. That's it. Then they have some safeties, Syrah Neal, DeMar Hamlin, and Jaquan Johnson. I might try to find a way to get any of those guys in the field and go after them, force the Bills out of what they want to do. Then I'd also just challenge their ability slash willingness to come up and tackle. This offense is tough to tackle. Tons of guys can break tackles. See if those guys can compete in that arena for 60 minutes. Now, if you do that, that means you have to get your front five and the back in pass protection to be very good in this game. And that takes us to the Miami offensive line versus the Buffalo Bills defensive line. This will be a bigger test this week, and not just because I think they're better or anything, but the Patriots opted for more coverage in that game. And I'll be curious to see what the Buffalo Bills do. I actually think they'll be more inclined to do the same thing and rely on pure pass rush wins because I think they're better at doing that. And you can really impact the passing game with Milano and Edmonds dropping into coverage. Now, Jerry Hughes is the best guy they got. Power, redirect, veteran pass rush arsenal, just knows how to win with the hands. I would focus on him, identify that guy, chip him, get a backup to help on him. He's a good player. Take care of Jerry Hughes. F.A. Obata comes in, and I thought Carlos Basham would get some run. He didn't play at all in the game. F.A. Obata's huge, heavy-handed, long, not crazy athletic lateral side-to-side movement, but he might be a guy you think about sliding your protection away and try to beat him one-on-one because not having the athletic or lateral agility That's the kind of guy you want to put on an island. But he can win those. But if you can neutralize that, that would be a a, a great way to help on other guys. Like a Gregory Rousseau, who's similar, big, but also very athletic. One of the effective pass rushers of this draft class already. And then A.J. Epinesa, another same deal. Big guy. Not overly athletic, but in terms of like his burst and the hips and the little lateral agility. Austin Jackson saw him in a bowl game a couple years ago, and they traded off some wins and losses in that game. But this entire edge group... It's, they're kind of like Zach Sealer-esque. There's not like a true like deer type of pass rusher. They're just all big guys that can put hands on you and beat you up that way. Now, they only had a few pressures, but again, Pittsburgh got it out so quick. But you can really see the traits we talked about above in this game and in their past tape. They use Hughes on both sides of the football. He was working on the Steelers' left tackle a lot in this game. So that could be Austin Jackson. Let's go ahead and talk about the interior here with Michael Dieter. He had himself a pretty good game on Sunday. And he'll have his work cut out for him out there with Ed Oliver, who can present lots of problems. But again, I go back to what we talked about with Akeem Hicks in the joint practices, Grady Jarrett in the joint practices, Raekwon Davis in our own internal practices. Dieter showed the ability to anchor. He's dealt with length, and he's been good at that second level, getting to that climb both in the preseason and the regular season. So those are two matchups I'm looking at the most because the next level of the Bills defense is the one where I think they really shine. Dolphins running backs at Bills linebackers versus Bills linebackers. And Matt Milano is so instinctive and consistent at beating blocks with quickness and instincts to shut down the primary run lane that the running back aims for, but he can also go forward, cover the flats, where I would try to exploit his game. He's an absolute stud, but going backwards, that's where I'd try to get him if he can. He played 29 snaps in coverage, was targeted just three times, but I think between Miles and Savon, you might be able to challenge him a little bit more than Pittsburgh could with their running backs. Now, Tremaine Edmonds is a freak, a certified freak, going forwards or backwards, side to side, tackling. He's just not quite added the splash play to his arsenal yet, but his ability to influence the passing lanes in the middle is an absolute key. The ability to influence him with RPO, I think that'll be crucial. And let's go off topic here and hear from Will Fuller, who spoke to the media on Wednesday, talking about a lot of things. And check out the media availabilities on YouTube. Very good stuff there from the Dolphins and Will Fuller on the Dolphins YouTube channel. But I want to play this response from Will with regards to the RPO game. Yeah, it's, it's real tough on the defense. You know, you put in a, you put someone in a bind. You know, he has to make the right decision. So, 
um, you know, if we if we you know play it right, the, the defense is never right. So um, I love RPOs. You know, like like I said, you put a linebacker in a bond, a safety in a bond. So um, if they make that wrong decision, we can go seventy or like like last week we were hitting big runs. So uh, it's fun. So the RPO influences both the run game, but also gives you a chance to break tackles after the catch. And there were some instances on the All-22 where, man, they were close to springing one of those things for a big, big game. Keep an eye on that as we go forward. I want to go back to Tua Tungavailoa here and get his take on the Dolphins throwing out of the shadow of their own goalpost there with the game kind of on the line at the end of that game after the Xavier Howard forced and recovered fumble. Let's go ahead and go to Tua talking about aggressiveness down there around the goal line. It, it wasn't necessarily a pass play. Um, it was it was really a run play, but, you know, there's, there's force in the box, and we can't take care of it. We don't have enough guys unless you guys want me to block, but I, I'm not going to do that. So by taking care of that, you know, <laughs> That's how we do that. So it's by taking. You switched it to a pass play. Well, we we had that in, so that's that's what I'd say. They had the pass play option in there, and that's what we later confirmed in a presser with the Tua did in fact check to the pass there on an original run call. And it's actually a fake RPO because I think people get confused between what RPO and play action are. The differences between the two. RPOs when you actually have a running play you can go to. Play action, you do not have that because you're going to get ineligible guys downfield or you might not have the ability to run what you want to run. But in a fake RPO, you see Tua put the ball out there and the linebacker sucks up and then he comes right off of that, doesn't even finish the mesh point, gets the ball up and out to fake the RPO look, to draw that defender up on the RPO and then pop it in right behind him. That was high-level stuff, great stuff there from Tua Tungabailoa and a great check to go to that and get themselves off the goal line there, a first down, and to basically put that game on ice. So I think that's a crucial element of this game, holding the linebacker's eyes, and I think Miles and Savant's horizontal speed at that running back position can play a big part in that, whether it's catching passes out wide, pressing outside on stretch runs, or even just motion from the backfield, you know, across the formation going empty. There are different ways to do that. Final defensive thoughts on the Bills. Their blitz rate was 28.6 in week one. That was 14th most in the National Football League. They were top half the league in terms of not missing tackles, just four in the game. They allowed 72 yak yards. Remember, Miami had 110 out of their 202 passing yards, so finding guys in space could spark some big plays. And then finally, special teams. Miami are eighth right now on DVOA on Football Outsiders. Buffalo's 28th. Isaiah McKenzie is a dangerous, dangerous return man. you got to get that guy contained. Kick away from him. Tyler Bass is a damn good kicker. Three for three last week, 42 the longest. He was 28 for 34 as a rookie last year. He missed only one kick in the of nine in the 40 to 49-yard range. He was four for six from 50-plus, but he did miss three 39 yards and under. We know about Matt Hawk. Three punts on Sunday for an average of 45.7. Two punts inside the 20-yard line, one touchback, and a blocked punt. You got to tackle well. You need to maximize the hidden yards because there's always you always need to do that stuff against a good team to find those small advantages to get your W. Three keys to the game. Maintain pass rush gap integrity. The worst place to be in football is behind the quarterback, and Josh Allen can make this happen to a lot of teams. Number two, Keep everything in front of you on defense. More Bills plays equals more opportunities for them to make bad plays and more chances at picks like the ones we did not corral last year in the Week 2 game. And finally, number three, finish drives. Field goals are not going to be enough to beat this team. Score touchdowns against this Buffalo Bills team. Dolphins will win if they can get pressure with four and tackle Josh Allen when they get to him on blitzes. Bills will win if they establish a consistent running game that makes Miami think about both dimensions of the offense. All right. 
NFL picks last week. Not great. Nine and seven. Week one, terrible. Got to be better. Even though week one is full of craziness, that's still so bad. But I'm taking Washington football team over the New York Giants on Thursday night, even without Ryan Fitzpatrick. That defense against the Giants front, I like that matchup for the football team, and they have enough playmakers offensively to allow Heineke to manage the game and drive them into the winner's circle. We'll pick the rest of the league games tomorrow and have the college three-pack for you as well, the washed-up version of the six-pack on tomorrow's show, plus your mailbag questions, John Jemmy, and all kinds of fun, plus we'll have something a little extra planned for you guys that involves the Dolphins Podcast Network with yours truly, Seth Levitt, and OJ McDuffie at the end of the week that I think you guys will all enjoy. We'll keep that a teaser for now and get the heck out of here. Caroline, daddy is coming home. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Pod with Seth and OJ. And of course, the media availability is up on the Miami Dolphins YouTube channel and MiamiDolphins.com. I have a few written pieces going up every single week on the website. Until next time, fins up.